You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Wow. Praise the Lord. Welcome home. That's what Pastor Jim said to us when we walked through the door. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how we feel. We feel like we're at home with you folks at Lenexa Baptist Church. We get invited to go to a lot of places. I get invited to speak at a lot of places. Very few ever invite me back. And if I were to be honest, even fewer times I want to go back. So I love being here with y'all. Y'all have excitement in the room, passion in the room, and I just, you You've got one of the best staffs in America. Amen. Let's give it up for the staff. That's all of you. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I've tried to find a weak one of the, of the bunch. Can't find them. Uh, you probably got them. We all do, but we can't find them yet. So that's, that's the best place to put them in the background. Anyway, uh, it is a joy to be here with you after Kauffman Stadium last night. They had the largest home attendance since opening weekend last night at the stadium. We had 7,000 probably stay for the concert. Uh, we had decisions. We're still trying to figure all that stuff out, but one of them happened uh, to my son. He had a uh, uh, 32-year-old man and a five-year-old, his five-year-old son come forward and uh, Hunter knelt down to the five-year-old and said, you're coming to make a decision. And the father went, no, I am. So that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can change anyone's life anywhere, any place, anyhow. You go to a ball game and leave with Jesus. That's awesome. And so thank you for your support, your partnership. For eight years, we've been doing this. Our children have grown up coming to Lenexa. They're your biggest fan base out there, ladies and gentlemen. They're telling people everywhere. It is so embarrassing when we're at another church and my daughter's like, well, you're not like Lenexa. Okay, so uh, you, you have got a raving fan in our kids. And today we have our newest addition. We have Shannon with us. We had a wedding uh, this past, uh, just over a month ago. Uh, so they're writing a book on marriage now. It will be out there. So, no, isn't that amazing how it always happens? But uh, it, it is amazing when you're preparing for the service you have so many of your friends send you stuff. And I had a friend of mine, he sent me something uh, about marriage and uh, it was, it's pretty good. It's about the ideal husband and the ideal wife. So let me just read it to you real quick. The ideal wife, what every man expects. You want someone who's always beautiful and cheerful, could have married movie stars, but wanted only you. You want someone who's never sick, just allergic to jewelry and fur coats, all right? You, you want someone who insists that moving the furniture by herself is good for a figure, an expert in cooking, cleaning the house, fixing the car or TV, painting the house, or just keeping quiet. You want someone who, or a favorite expression is, what can I do for you, honey? And you want, you want someone who thinks you have Einstein's brain, but looks like Mr. America, all right? But this may be what you get. You get a woman who speaks 140 words a minute with gusts up to 180, all right? <laughs> I love this one. You, you get a light eater. <laughs> as soon as it gets light, she starts eating. Okay, all right, so yeah, let's leave that. All right, the ideal husband, this is what every woman wants. You want someone who will be a brilliant conversationalist. <laughs> you can forget that, all right? <clears throat> Put a remote in our hand and we go in comatose, all right? You, you want a very sensitive man, kind and understanding, truly loving, a very hardworking man, and you want someone who's as smart as Einstein but looks like Brad Pitt, all right? So, but this may be what you get. You get a man who always takes you to the best restaurants. <laughs> One day he may even take you inside, all right? <laughs> and you want a well-known miracle worker. It's a miracle whenever he works. So there's a lot of them here. I won't go into it. But to us, when we did that ceremony, I, I told the people, I said, to everyone here, it's a wedding. But to the parents, it's a commissioning service. 
to launch out a, a new missionary couple to develop a Christian home in America. Ladies and gentlemen, we've never been at a crossroads where the gospel must be shared. And I know it's a Sunday morning, it's in the summer, and a beautiful crowd on a Sunday morning in the summertime. You guys are, are, are just amazing in all the ways around. But, uh, you know, when you read the Old Testament, they, they always anticipated God, God to speak. They, they expected Him to speak, and they went ahead, and they were already expecting their response to when God speaks. So I just got to ask you, when you walked in this morning, were you, were you anticipating God to speak to your life? And have you ever gotten to that point where you're expecting your response to, to how He speaks to your life? Because this morning, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we know it was written by the Apostle Paul. The, the Apostle Paul's testimony, we've heard it so many times. He was Saul of Tarsus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when Jesus changed his life, it changed everything about him. To the point, he even had to change his name. Couldn't go on being called Saul anymore. He changed his name, the Apostle Paul. And throughout his writings, he, as he was a missionary, he was always on mission for Christ. Now, how in the world could he stay so passionate about the gospel? That's the reason I have you in Romans chapter 1. Just like you, I know the most famous verse is verse 16. But I'm going to ask you to back up one verse and look at verse 15. Look at his emotion that comes out. He says in verse 15, so for my part. Now, if you are in other translations, in the New King James Version, it says, as much as is in me. Paul, Paul is basically saying, with all my strength, with all my energy, everything I possess, I am ready to preach. Now, don't get scared by that word preach. That word preach literally means to proclaim. Paul is basically saying, I am so full of energy, I've got to tell you something. What is he going to tell them? The gospel. You and I both know the gospel's translated as good news. I'll go one step further. It's not only good news, it is the greatest news anyone could ever hear. And he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, now when I see that word also, I'll never forget it. It just kind of took me back and I went, Paul's not waiting till he gets to Rome. That's not his mission that when I get to Rome, I'm going to share the gospel. Paul is saying, wherever I am, whoever I meet, whatever situation I'm in, I'm going to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul wanted to get to Rome. Paul wanted to get to Rome because he knew if he could get to Rome, that's the crossroads of the, of the world. We even know the phrase, all roads lead to So he knew that was the centerpiece of the world. Now, here's my question for you today. Where is your Rome? Have you ever thought about where is the crossroads of your world? That if the gospel penetrated your world, it would turn it upside down. It, it could be your home. It, it could be your community, your classroom, your hobby, your job. But wherever it is, the gospel must get to your Rome. So how can he do that? Well, go down to verse 16. Here's the source. He says, for I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis. It is the same word we get for our word dynamite. Now, they didn't have explosives back then, but what Paul is saying is this is the most powerful force on the universe. When you tap into him, your whole world turns upside down. Aren't you thankful Jesus changed your life? 
Man, it's a different day. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a, a very difficult time to share the gospel. And we look at Paul's time, it was very difficult. And to, to me, I, I've got a story. It's, it's when, I, when I was young, we went to a pool and we had a game and somebody would say, Marco. Y'all played it too. Okay. In 1296, Marco Polo, who was an explorer, found himself in modern day today, Beijing. He was in Kublai Khan, the emperor's castle, his, his fortress. And in his journal, he wrote that when he walked in, there were golden laid walls. And, and he walked into a banquet room where there was enough space for 6,000 lords to have a meal together at the same time. That, that's, that's a big room, even in today's account. And he remarks that when he was having the time with the emperor, Kublai Khan, after he was shared the Christian beliefs from Marco Polo, told Marco Polo that if he would go back and tell the Pope if there were a hundred teaching friars that would come to modern day today Beijing, that not only would Kublai Khan be baptized, his lords would be baptized, his noblemen would be baptized, and he said before long there will be more baptisms here where we live than where you live. Marco Polo made it back, shared it with the Pope, but instead of sending a hundred, they decided they would test out the, 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 the journey, and they sent two teaching friars. They got halfway there, they turned back, they came home, and they both recounted in their journals, the trip was too difficult. The journey was too hard. This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of how do you share your faith? in difficult times. How is it in 2019 that the gospel can still change lives anywhere, anyhow, anyway? I want to share with you three points. If you're a note taker, here is point number one. The gospel can cleanse your past. Now, we've got to start there, and I'm going to give you another verse where Paul puts up his own testimony. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Look at the screens. He says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation or creature. All things have passed away. And the story says, behold, all things have become new. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he has the power to cleanse your past. What we're talking about is a word called sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The one thing we all have in common in this room is we've all sinned. Okay, I want you to look at the person beside you and just simply say, I love you, but you're a sinner. Do it right now. <laughs> now, the person on the other side that you've neglected, don't leave them out. Say, I love you too, but you're a sinner also. <laughs> now, look up here. I, I know you're sitting there going, wait a minute. That's not a very warm and welcoming way for our neighbors to be here. Well, let's face it. It, it is a fact. It's bad news. We've all got sin. In fact, that word sin, uh, hamartia, one guy translated it as a fatal flaw. It's kind of like a, a, a disease that's on the inside that's fatal. We, we all have imperfections. Now, there, there, there are people here that are trying to get to God by being good or trying to achieve something, but the Bible says our best works are like filthy rags. All of us have imperfections. This morning, I was shaving to, to come, and I, I didn't know I, I was, uh, I, I had nicked myself, and I put on my shirt. Men, you've probably done this before, and I put my tie on, and I flipped it down, and there are little you can't see them if you just get real close. Maybe the guy can get real close. You can see little 
prints of blood. Man, I, it's, when you notice it, you go, I'm not looking good right now. You know what? When you look in the mirror, God's word, you realize all of sin. Every one of us has sinned. I'm not condemning you. I'm saying I've sinned. I've blown it. We've all done it. It's universal. But because there's bad news, let me give you the good news. The good news is when you recognize you're lost, you can be found. If, you're, if you don't know you're lost, how can you be found? If you don't have a need, how can it be met? You see, that's, if you were to walk down the sidewalk and if I were to run up to you, throw you down on the, uh, on the concrete and start doing CPR on you and, and even worse, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and there's nothing wrong with you, at the very least, that's called a restraining order. Amen? Okay? Why? Because there's no need. You have to have a need in order for it to be met. So if you're sitting here in this room and you're going, man, I know I've sinned. I know I've done some things wrong. That's your first step into salvation to understand that's why Jesus Christ died upon the cross. He died upon the cross because we all have that fatal flaw and it had to be paid for. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, that those of us that may be made righteousness unto God. He paid the price for our sin. He can forgive you of anything you've ever done wrong. It's kind of like this. Have y'all ever had an Etch-a-Sketch board? Do y'all remember that? Etch-a-Sketch board with the little pencil drawings. We all mess up on it. What do you do when you mess up? When you shake it and flip it back over, the slate's clean. Doesn't matter how many millions of people across this globe have come to the foot of the cross. When you come to Jesus, you know he has the power to do? He has the power to cleanse your past. Man, there's good news today for you. You can walk out of here not having to worry about the guilt and the misery you've walked through. You can have forgiveness. You can have restoration in your life. You see, not only can he cleanse your past, that it starts there. Because if you don't have a story, you can't share the story. So not only can he cleanse your past, let me give you the second point. Not only can he cleanse your past, he can conquer your problems. And with that, I'm going to ask you to put up another verse. It's in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. When I was reading this, I realized that Paul is writing to a young preacher boy named Timothy. People were trying to kill him. So here comes an encouraging word from the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 12, I, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know. Salvation is not a hope so, it is a no so. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. I don't know who this message is for this morning. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know the darkest days that you face, but I want you to look at me. Look right up here. Here's the message He is able. Whatever you're walking through, I don't know what you're walking through. I think I told you a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm not a psychic. There was a, a thing called the Psychic Network. They went bankrupt. If they were psychics, wouldn't they have seen that coming? Amen? I'm not a psychic. I don't know what you're walking through. It could be something today in your marriage, emotional, relational, spiritual, But although I don't know what you're going through, I know where your answer is. And it's so simple. 
And I, and I try to use simple illustrations to, to, to explain deep truth. So uh, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to think of a number right now. Don't say anything out loud. Just think of a number between one and nine. Just humor me. Humor me. Think of a number between one and nine. I want you to double it. Whatever you got right now, I want you to add six. It's getting tough for some of us, isn't it? I, I understand. We're almost done. Now I want you to uh, divide by two. And if you remember it, would you take away your original number? Okay. How many of you came up with the final answer of three? Let me see your hands. Wonderful. All right. I thought I messed it up for just a second. I was like, this is not going to be good if I messed it up. All right. How many of you start out with the ones? Let me see your ones. The twos, the threes, the fours, the fives, the sixes, the lucky sevens. There they, I knew that. All right. The eights, the nines. You see, ladies and gentlemen, look right up here. It doesn't matter what we started out with. Some of us walk through those doors today and we have a mask on emotionally. We want everyone else to think it's going great, but on the inside, it's unraveling. You see, it doesn't matter where you start. Your answer is found in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and I have been persuaded. That means he has proven it to me over and over and over again, that he is able. And one of the biggest fallacies going on out there is to say that when you come to Jesus, you'll never go through another bad day. You'll never have another problem. I've only got one problem with that, and it's wrong. I, when you read God's word, it says, though a righteous man may go through many trials, yet the Lord shall deliver him through all. You see, it's not being exempt from the pain and suffering. It is to know the presence of God while you're walking through it. You see, that's the reason Paul wrote to the book of Philippians. I love what Pastor Chad was telling us about uh, what's going on in that one country. You see, the, the Bible says he gives the peace that passes understanding. It's not that when you understand everything. So some of you are sitting here today going, well, I just don't understand why God's doing this. If you understand everything about your God, your God's not big enough. There's no way a finite mind can ever capture an infinite God. And so when I walk through those trials and walk through those journeys, he gives the peace that passes understanding. Even when I don't understand, he gives us peace. About 11 years ago now, Tara called me and we were talking and she said, Scott, I, I just, I can't see. And I was like, what do you mean you can't see? And she said it was like looking at a flashlight through wax paper. And so we started going to uh, specialist after specialist after specialist. To be honest, we started getting tired of being a, a case number, a copay, in a sterile environment. Some of you know what we're talking about when you go through a medical situation. And it was on the fifth specialist, if I remember that correctly. We were sitting in his, room, in his examination room, and they, because of the misdiagnosis, they, she had closed angle glaucoma, but at that point, she was so young, they thought it was another uh, situation, and they were putting steroids into her eyes, which if you, if you studied it, you'd find that's like pouring gas onto a fire. And, and as her vision was rapidly deteriorating, the, the doctor said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. You're, you're going to lose your sight. Now, if you, I'm just going to get real with you. There's some things probably worse than that. But for us, we were in the car, we were crying, we were weeping. And um, she said, Scott, and she reminded me, we'd walked through uh, a situation with some of our best friends. They lost their child, a uh, little toddler fell into their pool and accidentally drowned. And 
God just used that story, what Satan meant for harm, God meant for good, and just kind of really just, we, we stopped counting at 12,000 people coming to know Christ during that event. And she said, Scott, I, I was praying that I would be the type of person that God would trust, that to walk through any trial to be found faithful. Now, I, I, I saw my wife, I, I love that woman dearly, but she was so... There was this peace that we felt upon us. We didn't know what was going to happen. Now, praise the Lord, she didn't lose all of her sight. Doesn't have the sight she wants, but she got the sight she needs. I, I told the earlier crowd, you've lost some peripheral vision. Our dog's been kicked so many times. It's not his fault at all, okay? It just You can't see him, so he should get away. But, but I saw a peace. And, and some, some of you today... You have one little thing go wrong. Look at me. You have one little thing go wrong and your entire world crumbles. Today, I want you to experience the peace of God. That you surrender and you understand, man, I know. I, I, I'm persuaded. He has proven himself faithful so many times that he is able. He's not going to work it out the way I want it. He's going to work it out what sees fit for the kingdom of God to be advanced. You see, he can cleanse your past. He can conquer your problems when you just keep going forward. But let me tell you the third thing, and then I'm done. He will change your perspective. You got to remember the guy named Saul, he was all about himself. He was a religious zealot. He wanted to make sure everyone believed like him, acted like him, did like him. But, but all of a sudden, when God started warming his heart, have you ever thought about where Paul's motto would be in Scripture? To me, it's Philippians 1.21. Would you put that verse on the screen, guys? It says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you wanted to know Paul's mentality, it was like, that's it. For me to live is Christ, and to die, that's game. Because when we all get to heaven, there's going to be a place of rejoicing. We want you to go with us. But I'm telling you, this thing on this, this thing called earth, I'm just passing through. We're in a hotel room through this afternoon, but we didn't go in and change the carpets. We didn't go in and change the curtains. Why? Because we knew we were just passing through. Ladies and gentlemen, most of us have made all of our, our value on temporary assets. There's only two things that last forever, the Word of God and the souls of men. And so I can't help but understand, why aren't we sharing our faith? You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be on staff at a church. Why aren't we sharing with our neighbors? Why aren't we sharing with our friends? Why aren't we sharing with our family what Jesus Christ has changed our life? I can only come up with two reasons. You may have another one. Tell me afterwards. But one, you're not sharing your faith because you don't know Jesus. It's just not real to you. He's a religious figure you tip your, tip your hat to every once in a while. He, he's your God of multiple choice. You know, if I have to put Buddha and, and, and Muhammad and Jesus, I'm going to pick Jesus. He, you don't know him personally because when you experience Jesus, he changes your life. Amen? So either you don't know him or what's really scary is we just don't believe he can change someone else's life. Now, if there's another reason, I'll make myself available to you afterwards. But I, Jesus can change anyone's life. He changed mine. I know he can change his. It, it, how does the message of the gospel get boring? 
How have we gotten into the to almost the situation where we go, oh, you know, what, what's so exciting about the gospel? What's exciting about the gospel? Have you thought about it? I'm apart from God. Because of his holiness, I'm separated from him, never to attain the right to be brought back into his presence. So when I couldn't come to him, he came to me. And for 33 years, he walked among us, and he never once said, pay me. He doesn't even say, thank me. He went to the cross for my sin. He went to the cross for your sin. He paid the debt I owe. He paid the debt you owed. He took it upon himself. The, the, those who, uh, he, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. They took his body off the cross. He didn't switch spirits with Simon. He didn't shoot up the hole in the ozone layer. Our God died. Our God loves us so much he'd rather die than to live without us. They put him inside of a borrowed tomb. They put a big stone in front of it. The whole world seemed to whisper, it's over. He's out of here, but on the third day, the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out. He was not trapped in that tomb, worried, going, man, I hope you don't forget about me. No, the stone was rolled away so that we can go in and find that he who went in is no longer in. He's out. Jesus is alive. He's ascended to the Father, and based on the promises of his word, he's coming back to take me home to spend eternity in a place called heaven. Now, I know we're out there getting a little golfer clap, and I understand that because we're trying to be refined. But ladies and gentlemen, that message is exciting. That message is like a cool drink of water to a part soul when you're apart from Jesus. But sometimes when I'm preaching the gospel, it's like I'm dealing with a bunch of Amish people at Best Buy. You know what I'm talking about? It just whoo, goes right over their head. And I just want to look at you and go, ladies and gentlemen, the tomb is empty. The throne is occupied. Jesus is Lord. He can change anybody's life. Why can't we share it? You see, tonight, most of us are going to go to bed dry-eyed. While the whole world is crying themselves to sleep. I've, I've named this generation, we're living in the weepless generation. We just don't know how to cry anymore. One man told me, he said, don't ever be afraid to cry. When the eyes leak, it keeps your head from swelling. <laughs> most, most of us, unless it's some Hollywood flick, most of us have not been broken. If we've been broken over ourselves, we've not been broken over our neighbors. The Bible says those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. Throughout Scripture, you read people weeping. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Hezekiah pray, prayed and wept before he went into battle. Nehemiah, when he heard the walls were torn down, wept. In the New Testament, you find that Jesus wept. He wept over his friend's Lazarus' death, and then he wept over Jerusalem. John, the one who had the revelation, he wept because no one was worthy to open the scroll. I, I just want to ask you, when was the last time you wept over souls? When was the last time God broke our heart and it was more than just a golf clap? It was like, God, if you don't show up, we're not going to be able to go on without you. There's a story about a guy named John Holden. I heard it about 20 years ago. It changed my life. I'm not trying to manipulate anyone, but if this gets close to home, so be it. He was a preacher boy, lived with his mom in the 19th century. They lived in a coastal town in England. And because they lived in a coastal town, there was a bay, and the ships would come into the bay to find supplies. The only problem was there was a reef in the middle of the bay. And sometimes during storms, the ships would hit the, the reef and capsize, and people would have to go out and try to save them. 
One night, the bells started clanging. That meant there had been a, 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 a situation developed down at the, the docks. They jumped up. They ran out the door. John Holden ran, ran on ahead, got there. And because there was a storm, a ship had hit that reef, tupped over. And, and by the time he got to the pier, the, the guys were already rowing back in their lifeboats. He grabbed one person. He said, did you get everyone? The man looked up and said, sir, we got everybody but one person. We heard him screaming, but there was no way we could get to him. The, the, the waves were too rough. The winds were too strong. There was no way we could get to him. John Holden said, I'll go. He went over and he started getting inside one of the boats, and his mom called him and said, John, don't go. If you go out there, that's a bad storm. You're going to die. John Holden said, Mom, if there's one person out there, I've got to go. He jumped in the boat, rowed out. I don't know how long he was there. The, 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 the storms faded away. The fog started settling in. People would begin to think that John Holden had died. But someone heard the sounds of oars slapping on top of the water. He got so excited, he ran up, jumped up on top of a pile, and grabbed his hands around his face, and he yelled out, John Holden, is that you? And through the fog, he yelled, yes, it's me. He yelled out, he said, John Holden, did you find the young man? And he hollered back, yes, I found him. He hollered, he said, John Holden, is he alive? And that night through the fog, John Holden hollered back, yes, he's alive. And go tell my mother, he's my brother. Now, I want you to understand Six months ago, his brother had signed a contract. John Holden did not know that was his brother in the storm. It makes it a whole, uh, a whole better story. But I want you to look at me. It didn't matter who was out there. Someone needed to be saved. And this evening, you know what my prayer is? Is, is for you that are in this room today that don't know Jesus. I hope you hear the passion in my life. I hope you hear the urgency from my voice. It says, you need Jesus. Because he's changed my life, he can change your life. There's hope for you. You can walk out of here a brand new person. But for those of us in this room that know Jesus, for us start to listen with the Savior's ear and have the Redeemer's heart. And if you do, you'll hear many people across your city screaming, save me. Save me. Save me. When was the last time we were just broken? God, reach them. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Bill's going to come, begin to play very softly. and It's a great opportunity for an invitation. And I know you're busy. We're all busy. We're not going to be long. But for the next couple of minutes, could I ask you, unless it is an emergency... Would you please refrain from moving around the auditorium? Because this is a serious moment. Every time we go into an invitation, I, I leaned over to Pastor Jim and I said, you know, every time I preach, I, I want to preach like it's the last time I'm ever going to preach the gospel. Because you don't know, one day it will be. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know he loves you. He died on the cross for you. He resurrected and he'll give you purpose. He'll give you peace. He'll give you a cleansed slate. And it's not by running up and down the aisles. It's not by screaming the top of your lungs. It's by one word called surrender. The Apostle Paul says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, I love that word, whosoever, because that means me. <laughs> that means you. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. It'd be like if you were drowning in a body of water and all of a sudden right before you went under, a life preserver hits the top of the water. You know what you're going to do. You're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. And you could be sitting here going, wait a minute, that means I saved myself. No, you're drowning. 
You know you have to trust the life preserver. I'm not the life preserver. Lenexa, as great as this church is, is not the life preserver. God just uses tools like this to throw the life preserver your way, and we're talking about Jesus. Whosoever calls, trusts in, latches on, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you, right now. I don't know a better way to lead a person to Christ than by a prayer. And that prayer is not just repeating words after me. It's not reciting something. It's you talking to God, surrendering, saying, I need you. Forgive me. Live inside of me. Take over. I'd love to be your tour guide right now. I'm not going to be your travel agent. I'm going to be your tour guide. I'm going to walk with you right now. But I can't do it for you. You have to talk to him. And right there where you're sitting, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Not to say one word with your lips, but you scream it inside your heart. The person beside you doesn't know what's going on, but the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of God. So right there where you're sitting, I'm just going to, I'm walking along with you, but I can't do it for you. You have to talk to him. So pray this prayer inside your heart. It goes like this. Dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me. To the point You sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you. Thank you, God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one in this room knows what anyone else in this room did. But in just a few moments, we're going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to stand. As soon as we stand, Pastor Chad's going to be here. Other men and women may be here at the front. But as soon as we stand, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. If you're in the middle, scoot out. If you're on the end, you just step out. You come forward. You grab Pastor Chad's hand, one of these other men or ladies' hands, and say, I pray to receive Jesus. You're saying, wait a minute. You're adding something to it. No, I'm not adding anything to it. Our God's not going to play games with you. Our God's going to plant roots in your life. You're saying, why are you asking me to come forward? Because Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our salvation, he says it like this. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. I'm just going to be straight up with you. If that prayer that you just prayed, this relationship does not mean enough to you that when we stand for you to step, come forward in a church service of people who love Jesus, who are going to celebrate with you and rejoice with you. If you're not willing to tell these people you're a follower of Jesus, do you really believe you're going to be able to go outside of these walls and live for Jesus? It's not going to happen. You may be the only one that comes this morning. I'd rather that be your mentality and it only be you coming forward than for you to sit back, wait on everyone else to do. Because at that point, you're just following the crowd. Jesus never says, follow my followers. Jesus says, follow me. So as soon as we stand, I'm going to ask you to come. Others may be here this morning, and there's an altar for you to place your petitions. Maybe you're walking through some tough times, and you've just lost your focus. Man, play it, place it on the altar. Others may be coming and saying, man, I'm placing my son, my daughter, my parents, my friends, my neighbors, whoever it is. I want to be the witness that they need to be, that Christ can flow through me. It's not up to us to produce the results. That's God's business. We're just called to be faithful. 
Let's be faithful in his sight. Father, at this moment, during this invitation, I pray for every man, woman, boy, or girl that just prayed that prayer. Will you give them boldness like they've never known before? That as soon as we stand, they'll come. They'll confess you as their Lord. I know what is happening inside their life, and there's this struggle. God, would you give them boldness like they've never known before? I pray for this invitation that men and women, boys and girls, will come and lay our petitions upon the altar. That we'll not worry about what anyone else is thinking. We'll concentrate on what you're telling us to do. God, may we be found faithful during this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. You come right now. Bill, leads it.